All right, so I have been thinking and praying about dealing with this topic for a while, but I have never felt like I really had a good handle on uh, this topic. I've, I've done a fair amount of studying, research, reading, and uh, we have spent several weeks talking about understanding generations. We are, we are in a day and age right now where there is a generation gap that is often linked to technology. We've talked about the various generations. Uh, we've talked about, uh, like last week, we looked at understanding our uh, need as mentors, as examples, as the older generations to disciple the younger generations instead of condemning or constantly pointing out uh, their faults and their flaws, uh, recognizing our own, recognizing the, the fact that sin affects every generation, but understanding that technology has a lot to do with this generation gap, but then not using that as an excuse but rather seeing our need to come alongside. We talked about understanding the Christian walk as a pilgrimage. Discipling really takes the form of a uh, pilgrimage with the, the older generation, the leaders, being guides, sometimes having to come alongside and be there among the, the group that's on the trail, sometimes having to, and oftentimes having to be out front, but never in the sense of being a king on a high pedestal or a queen on a high pedestal, always pointing out barking orders and criticizing and saying, you're not doing this and you're not doing that, but rather being on the same trail, maybe out in front a little bit, showing the way, helping guide, helping direct, helping avoid pitfalls and helping avoid the group from getting lost, but sometimes having to come in among the group that's following and having to help carry burdens, Uh, maybe having to help hold somebody up who's struggling along, but the idea is uh, of a pilgrimage and us following Christ together. Paul said, be an imitator or be a follower of Christ as I am. In other words, come alongside. And Paul wasn't saying, though there are authority structures in the home and in the church, though there are roles of leadership in the home and the church and society, Paul was never about standing there and saying, all of you bad people, who haven't arrived like I have, I hope that you can get on board and come to where I'm at because I'm this great spiritual giant and you guys just need to get on board with me. You never have that attitude in Scripture. Paul never has that kind of attitude, that kind of spirit. It's always an attitude of humility, even though this was an educated man, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Paul was humbled in that salvation on the road to Damascus Paul never got over that, and he understood his role in reaching Timothy and Titus, his sons in the faith, who were the pastors in that first generation, but even their, their followers and the, the different churches, and eventually maybe we'll have a, a time to study the seven churches in Revelation. I hope to do that one day, but we see Paul's heart for the believers throughout his epistles, and it's always uh, an attitude of humility, of long-suffering, of patience, of love, and come alongside together and let's serve Christ together. So in doing, in, in doing some research in preparation for this, I realize I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wade into this water, and uh, I'm going to be probably about waist-deep, hopefully 
uh, we, can, we can go through this together, and uh, you'll, you'll bear with me. But I'm going to deal with a topic that has been out there in our culture, and there's a lot of talk. But let's, let's have a biblical understanding of critical theory. Critical theory. And it's, what do you want to call it? It's variant, to, take a, to borrow a term from the whole COVID thing. I guess the newest variant is the Ninja variant. Have you heard that? The B5 that, that President Biden has. I guess it's the Ninja variant because it's so elusive at avoiding the, the vaccine and uh, avoiding the immune system, but it's a very mild uh, variant. Anyway, that's a side note. How did I get there? Anyway, um, so uh, this, 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 this is a topic that I am not an expert on. You can do a lot of research and you, you can find a lot of information about this, but it has been thrown around a lot in our culture. And I want us to have a biblical understanding of this not to create controversy, not to confuse us, but to help us understand a prominent theory that is attacking the authority of God's word. And that's what we're going to come down to eventually and see this is an attack on the authority of God and his word and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and let's read verses 1 through 6. And I think I might have this... Um, for us on the screen as well. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comfort on the side of their oppressors. There was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore, I praise the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I considered all travail and every right work, that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Verse 6, better is an handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Now, what is Solomon saying? Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is a challenging book. It is uh, a book that uh, maybe, uh, Lord willing, we'll have an opportunity to, to, to study uh, together as a church family. Uh, I taught a, a Sunday school series years ago through the book of Ecclesiastes, and it, it, it was challenging. And to this day, going back and reading, uh, it is still a book that's uh, hard sometimes for us to understand. But we have to understand that Solomon goes back and forth from man's perspective of life to God's perspective of life. Ecclesiastes is a book that helps us see what life looks like without God. An inspired account of the richest, wisest man who was a saved man who went through life enjoying all the pleasures that money could buy that he could experience. Though I believe Solomon was a saved man given wisdom by God and in turn wealth probably the wealthiest man ever, and yet at times we are given an inspired account of a view of life without God. And then Solomon will turn, and you'll read him say, you'll read as, as he says, from a view of life from God's perspective, with a biblical perspective, with a right perspective. And sometimes they kind of mix and in Ecclesiastes 4, we see Solomon looking at life from man's perspective. 
And we see he looks at life and he talks about oppressions, the oppressed, and oppressors. Don't we hear that word a lot in our culture today? The oppressed, the oppressors, and that term gets thrown around and we have to then ask questions like, what do you mean by oppressor? What do you mean by an oppression? And then you hear things like aggressions and microaggressions and oppressions and micro-oppressions. And then we hear terms like systemic, systemic racism. And then we hear terms like supremacy, white supremacy. And then all these terms get mixed in and they get borrowed by different news outlets and intellectuals and academians. And then we have the liberals and the LGBTQ. And then we have the conservatives and then we have the religious. And before long, we're just like swimming in this cauldron of all these ideas. And we hear these terms and we're like, what, what is going on? What, what are we talking about? This is what a lot of the younger generations are dealing with now. They're growing up in a culture where everybody decides truth for himself or herself. And a worldview that is being pushed upon the culture in which we live is critical theory. And it's variant of critical race theory, CRT. Okay? So did Solomon recognize that there were abuses and there were injustices? And there were oppressors, and there was oppression. Did Solomon not recognize that right here? Looking at life from man's perspective, and he says, there are injustices in the world. There are people who are abusing other people. There are people on power trips. There are people taking advantage with their authority, with their power. And we all could probably give examples of people who have abused power and position. It is part of human nature. It even happens in cliques among kids and among adults. I, I, I remember in Kelly's class, and we saw it in the three-year-old class that we taught on Wednesday nights for a while, there's the alpha male. I would see it in, in school with the kids. I would see that there were certain groups, and there was always a leader. There was always a ringleader. There was always somebody who wanted to exercise their influence and their power. And sadly, too often, it was not for good. Sadly, it was, it was often used for the, the, wrong, the wrong reasons. And, and history is, is uh, replete with examples of, of those who abuse their power. But we see it in all kinds of different social environments. We even see it in churches. Sometimes churches get dominated by certain people with certain power and influence. And sometimes it's the pastor himself who thinks he's the fourth part of the Holy Spirit and he's an authoritarian and then he comes along and he thinks he can dictate to everybody how to live and what to do and what not to do. And before long, he's got a list of things that you should and shouldn't do. And anyway, it, it gets even into the pulpit, into the, the pastoral office. Power is, throughout history, abused and misused. Position, throughout history, is used and misused. So Solomon recognizes that. He's recognizing injustice. Even in the uh, Bible times, we can look at the historical context in which Solomon is writing. Solomon himself had immense power and wealth, 
How did Solomon use that power and that wealth? He's even having to deal with that. How do I use this wisdom? How do I use this power? How do I use that wealth? See, and again, I'm not here to, 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 to be able to, to say I'm the authority on all of, all of this subject, but uh, there, there's a, a quote by a, a great hero called Spider-Man. Okay. <laughs> my, <laughs> one of my boys had a Spider-Man, plastic Spider-Man. You know, one of those ones where you pull the string or you push the button or you wind it up. I forget. And it would, it would have different quotes on it. Okay. So I'm sorry to quote from Spider-Man. But he, he would, whatever we would do, we would pull the string or we would push the button and he would say, with, with great power comes great responsibility. And I was like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're just a toy, okay? But, but we, mis, we misunderstand that. Biblically speaking, with great power comes great responsibility. But how does that work in a frame of the world and society. If we don't understand God's authority, if we don't understand the Bible, if we don't understand God's sovereignty and providence, then we are going to totally misuse and misunderstand power and responsibility, aren't we? A father who doesn't understand that will abuse his wife and his kids. A mother who doesn't understand that will usurp the authority in the home and take advantage of her husband and manipulate. And then discourage her kids in the, the things of the Lord and, and in the, the right structure in the home. And then that spills out into society. And then we have all the politics and all the politicians. Have, have, have we not seen the news? Sri Lanka co- completely collapsing. People coming into the presidential palace and swimming in his pool. I think they were in his bed, in his bedroom, and in his palace. I mean, we're all upset, or at least some people are all upset about January 6th. Okay, which was, and I, I'm going to be very careful here because I have opinions, strong opinions on that. But that's nothing compared to what happened in Sri Lanka, where basically the whole place, the whole country has collapsed. Um, people who want to get out of America, they want to go live in Sri Lanka? They want to go live in Russia? How about Haiti? I just heard Christian news yesterday. Haiti is in complete anarchy right now. They have no government that's been established since their president was assassinated. There's all kinds of abuses of power, and then there's always a fight for who's going to rule. It could be a clique at school. I've dealt with junior high girls, and I've dealt with junior high boys. I've dealt with high school girls and high school boys. I've dealt with adults who think that they are to have the power. They're going to dictate the styles. They're going to dictate... All kinds of things. Who's talking to who? Who gives who a hug? Who's their BFF and who's not their BFF? Or their bestie or whatever the term is today. I'm probably, that's probably old now. But there, there's, there's all these power dynamics. So critical theory steps in and says, aha, we can solve this power dilemma. We have the answers. Okay. So, to help us, I'm going to show a a video here. I hope it plays. I I tested it out, and it played last night, but we'll see how it translates to this morning. This will give us an overview, and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about it. Okay, so now I've got to deal with the sound issue here. Christians should embrace critical theory, because it's trying to eliminate oppression. So let me do this. One way our culture attempts to explain and 
confront power structures. Some Christians have embraced it as well. But what is it? To understand critical theory, we need to understand it's too... You're in a conversation and someone says, Since God cares about the oppressed, Christians should embrace critical theory because it's trying to eliminate oppression too. What would you say? Critical theory is one way our culture attempts to explain and confront power structures. Some Christians have embraced it as well. But what is it? To understand critical theory, we need to understand its two primary claims. First, everyone can be divided into two groups, those who have power and those who don't. Second, those who have power always oppress those who don't. But how do we know who the oppressed and who the oppressors are? According to critical theory, the categories of oppressor and oppressed are based on your group identity. Things like race, gender, religion, immigration status, income, sexual orientation, and gender identity determine whether we are oppressed or one of the oppressors. Of course, someone might be part of an oppressed group in one way, but one of the oppressors in another way. That's where the concept of intersectionality comes in. Intersectionality seeks to measure someone's level of oppression based on how many of these groups they identify with. For example, a black man is less oppressed than a black woman, who is less oppressed than a black lesbian. In critical theory, the degree to which you are oppressed determines your level of moral authority. The more categories of oppression someone identifies with, the more black man is less oppressed than a black woman, who is less oppressed than a black lesbian. In critical theory, the degree to which you are oppressed determines... Okay, this is an important point for us to understand about critical theory. So the more oppressed you are... Oh, that's right, thank you. Switch back and forth here. Okay, so the more oppressed you are, the more moral authority you have. Okay, so... This is important for us to understand as we hear the news and the politicians and even among academics. You have moral authority not based on the word of God, not based on absolute truth, but based on what? Intersectionality. Levels of oppression. So simply your skin color your sexual orientation, your gender identity, whatever else is considered an oppressed class, that determines the moral authority. That determines the truth. Do you see how dangerous this is? We'll, we'll come back to this some more, but I, I wanted to make that point here. a level of moral authority. The more categories of oppression someone identifies with, the more moral authority they have. As a result, the experience and perspective of a gay black woman is more valuable than the experience and perspective of a straight white man, regardless of what they have to say. And in the same way, the more oppressed someone is, the less moral responsibility they have for their actions. Those who aren't part of oppressed groups, straight white men, gain moral authority by surrendering to those who haven't, the oppressed. This is called being woke. 
Some people claim that since Jesus cares about oppression, critical theory and intersectionality should be embraced by Christians. But critical theory and intersectionality are not consistent with Christianity, and here are three reasons why. First, critical theory offers a different view of humanity than Christianity. Critical theory claims that our identity as human beings is rooted in things like race and gender, features that differ from person to person. The Bible grounds our identity as human beings and the value every human has in the fact that we are created in God's own image. This is something every human being shares. While critical theory pits some groups of people against other groups based on their status as oppressors or oppressed, the Bible says that we are all equal before God. Created equal, equally valuable, equally guilty of sin, equally deserving of punishment, and equally able to find grace and mercy in Jesus. Which leads to the second point. Critical theory offers a different view of sin than Christianity. The Bible identifies sin as anything that violates God's design for people, including unjust oppression of other people. But critical theory identifies sin only as oppression. As a result, advocates of critical theory would see biblical practices such as discipleship, correction, leadership, and reproof as sinful assertions of power. Okay, so I think it's pretty obvious. I gotta do this again. I'll switch back and forth here. Sorry about that. I think it's pretty obvious what happens, right? Look at the look at the redefining of sin. Has Satan not been doing that since the Garden of Eden? So now there is a theory that is being pushed in schools, in corporations, in even churches now. I know, I know of some churches that have gone woke. There, there are apologists that are now coming out and they're exposing some of these churches. We'd be shocked sometimes by some of the churches and denominations. The Southern Baptist Convention has been battling CRT, critical race theory, for years now. Southern Baptist Convention just had its big convention, I think, out in San Diego this, this past summer. And not only is the ordination of women a controversy in the Southern Baptist Convention, but I know of a pastor who pulled his church out of the SPC because of CRT. Because there are large groups of people in the Southern Baptist Convention who believe that CRT is an effective tool for Christians to be able to minister the gospel in the world in which we live. Dangerous stuff. We begin adopting this kind of a theory and we undermine the authority of God's word. We begin to redefine sin. So now a teacher wants to correct a student. They don't have any business doing that because the teacher might be a white male. A straight white male or a straight white woman. I've dealt with parents who have bought into a little bit of this before. And I have no moral authority, no matter my position as a principal or as a pastor or as an assistant pastor. I don't have moral authority based on the word of God because they have suffered from some sort of injustice. Do you see where this goes? I think it's pretty obvious how this affects the culture, family structure, a patriarchal society built on white male leadership 
that would be considered oppressive. So now we see how that affects the family. See how this begins to permeate culture and social structures and God-ordained uh, authority structures? Okay. If the speaker is among the oppressors and would excuse sins like jealousy, anger, hatred, bitterness, unforgiveness, or envy among the oppressed, the Bible says that we are all guilty before God, regardless of social status, race, or economic situation. The Bible condemns oppression as one of, but certainly not the only way in which humans rebel against God. Because critical theory gets the problem wrong, it also gets the solution wrong, which leads to the third point. Critical theory offers a different view of salvation than Christianity. According to the Bible, because we are all equally guilty of sin, salvation can only be found in Jesus through repentance. Our hope is found in being forgiven of sin. Because critical theory teaches that oppressors are guilty and the oppressed are not, salvation for the oppressed is found not through repentance, but in social liberation here and now. Their hope is only through activism. In other words, critical theory has a completely different understanding of who we are, what the problem is, and how to fix it than Christianity. So next time, someone, surely with good intentions, tells you that Christians should embrace critical theory because Jesus also cares about the oppressed, remember these three things. Critical theory offers a different view of humanity. Our identity is in our status as image bearers and children of God, not in our race, gender, income, or immigrant status. Critical theory offers a different view of sin. Oppression is wrong, but it is a symptom and not the disease. Critical theory offers a different view of salvation. We cannot solve our biggest problem. Jesus can. Our hope is not in our circumstances on earth, but our destiny in eternity. For what would you say? I'm Joseph Backel. All right. You're in a con... I changed the heading on a different version of this PowerPoint, so it's, um, the, the heading is wrong on this slide, so sorry about that. We'll come back to the last video if we have time, but I want us to talk about these main points here. I've, I've interrupted the video a little bit already to discuss some of this, and I know this might bring some questions, but let's see, there we go. So first of all, we have to understand that critical theory is a worldview. There are many, many people out there who deny this. Oh, it's just a tool to help us understand oppression. It's just a tool to help us understand injustice. Did Solomon in Ecclesiastes 4 recognize injustice and oppression in the world? Yes. But we, we, we don't have time to go through the whole, the whole book of Ecclesiastes. But when he gets down to the conclusion of the matter in chapter 12. He says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. And then he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon comes back to the sovereignty of God, his rulership, his providence, and our need to fear God and keep his commandments.
critical theory takes like lenses and causes us to see the world in what way? Injustice, race, sexual orientation, gender identity, all of these oppressions become the lens by which we see the world. What does that create? Victimhood. What, what, were, what was he saying in the video? I'm not responsible. The more oppressed I am, the more moral authority I have, and the less personal responsibility I have. Does that not go contrary to Scripture? God has given leadership responsibilities to his people in various capacities. With that leadership responsibility comes moral integrity that is required, character that is required, and a responsibility before God by which, to, which, to whom we're going to give an accounting. How does critical theory deal with that? Where's the answers? Where's the explanations? It, it, it actually reverses that. Okay? So it claims to have a source for evil and claims to have an answer for evil. But you think about it, where does their source of evil come from? Where? Okay, we know that Satan, but what do they claim is the source of evil? Drew? Okay, the oppressors, power, those who are in power. Now, doesn't that fall short? That doesn't go far enough, does it? Well, where did that oppressor get the desire to use his power for oppression or injustice in that abuse of power? Where did that, where did that inkling come from? Where did that desire come from? Where did, see how it falls short? It claims to have a cause for evil in the world. Abuse of power, imbalance of power. But where does that desire come from? It's that, again, society is to blame. Individual personal responsibility is eliminated. And then, does it claim to have an answer for evil? What's the answer? He mentioned a little bit in the video. Wokeism, yeah, cancel culture. Activism, the overthrow of all social norms and authorities and social structures and institutions. And now we're at the point now where we're beginning to see how critical theory has permeated society to the point that even biological law is to be discarded. Natural law is to be discarded. So now there are people saying it is wrong for a woman who doesn't want to have her baby, for anyone to force her to remain pregnant. There are people who are now saying that the biological process of pregnancy is wrong, is evil, is a poison. What does that do? Critical theory has now led to the point that even biological, natural, God-created law is bad, is evil. This is where we're going. So what's, what's next? What's next? Why are they trying to trans the kids at age five? Because the natural law of pedophilia is another domino that's about to fall. 
Do you see how dangerous this is? This is out of the pits of hell. This is coming from the mind of Satan. So now there are people who are talking about, and it came out in a news article a little while ago, somebody, I cannot remember the term they used, but it is excusing pedophilia because that natural law, that biological law, that even needs to fall. Okay? So this is where critical theory leads to. The problem, supposedly, is power, institutions, Laws even, natural laws. Nat? Ultimately, it's just going to end up in, in total chaos because yep. even if you look at the index black family, the father would be the authority and yep. even he would be considered an oppressor to his family because Correct. It's, Correct. it's just been traditionally that the father is the authority. Right. And, and right. so they can rebel against that. Right. Even the children against the mother as well. Yes. You know, so it's just, just You're right. Chaos. You're right. Exactly. It, turn, it turns into just a complete collapse of society. And then that then allows, in that disorder, that allows satanic authority to step in. Okay? And then we, we have experienced already in our culture a measure of that. Mob rule, violence that's excused, destroying buildings, etc. But we can go back into Bible times, look at the book of Judges. Book of Judges, they actually get to a point where basically a prostitute of a, if I remember right, if it's a, a priest or a Levite, is then cut up and shipped to the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's considered acceptable, except for a small group who say, okay, that's far enough, and then they then use violence to react to that. I mean, it's just, that's the, the depravity of man's heart and where he'll go. Earl? Yeah, and I, and I read an article, uh, I've got a couple of articles here, they're too long to read, but it speaks to that very thing, that critical theory is considered so absolute that to even question it would be considered wrong. It's beyond questioning, and to question it would resort us to, to hate speech, to violence. So that's why when Josh Hawley questions the Berkeley law, law professor, she turns and she says, um, you're, you're transphobic, and to say that would be violence. Because now to even question critical theory in some circles is hate speech, is violence. We, we see where this is going. I just want us to be uh, understanding of it. Also, critical theory fails to offer any hope for redemption or salvation. Where's the hope? Where's the redemption? Where's the salvation in critical theory? Again, I'm... I have the least amount of moral authority because I'm a straight white male. I don't even like to use the word cisgendered. That's a made-up word. We understand that? Cisgendered is a made-up word. That's not an actual word that existed until this whole LGBT stuff came along. I don't like to even refer to myself as cisgendered. I've never walked up to anybody and said, Hi, I'm a heterosexual, cisgendered, straight male. It's ridiculous. That's not how I identify myself. I identify myself, first of all, as a Christian as a child of God, by his grace, 
And then there's other roles that I have, okay? But that's, that's where we're at now. Where's the, where's the forgiveness? Where's the hope? What, what did that video say? The only hope for a le- least oppressed group is what? To surrender to the most oppressed. Well, what does that turn into? I mean, queer theory is what becomes the highest authority, right? So then I'm supposed to surrender to queer theory? I'm I'm supposed to surrender to trans theory? No way. I'm not doing that. You can burn me at the stake before I'm going to surrender to that. Okay? And then exactly... Exactly. And I wish I had time. I don't have time to show the second video, but that's exactly what the next video, I'll have to show it, Lord willing, next week. That's exactly what they say in the next video is it just becomes this cycle of oppressor, oppressor, oppression, oppressed, and then back again. But as with any Marxist view, though, it's going to be once that paradigm shifts, yep. Yep. all problems are solved. We, yep. we reach utopia yep. when everyone's woke. But they never do reach utopia. In their, I know, in their theory. Right, but in their theory, right, so there's this elusive butterfly of happiness and utopia, and it never happens. It's just this constant, vicious cycle of destruction and, yes, Earl? I like what Ken Ham and Charles Ware in their book, One Blood, um, I forget the title of the book now, but they talk about people groups instead of ethnicities and, and that. They refer to groups of ethnicities as people groups, emphasizing the humanity and the dignity and not emphasizing the skin color and, and that sort of thing. So, and the third point here, critical theory ultimately undermines the authority of God's word. Redefines sin and evil reduces salvation to social activism and overthrow of authority and replaces God with man-centered power systems. So we're down to the last few minutes. I know that's a lot that we have uh, gone through, um, but further comments or questions? So this is, this is yes, Nat. Yes, yes. 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 So speaking to that point from this one article, in the 18th century, Jean-Jacques Rousseau sneered at the Christian concept of original sin and argued that civilization made humans bad. Rousseau's favorites became known as noble savages, even though Rousseau himself was more savage than noble. He dispatched all five of his babies to orphanages where most infants died. Rousseau allowed all five of his children to go to orphanages where they were then abused and, and probably died. Okay. Orphaned his own kids, five of them. Rousseau's belief in original goodness caught on and the search began for people uncorrupted by church life or capitalism. In the 19th century, Karl Marx thought it poppycock to put primitivism on a pedestal. Having no confidence in the rural majority, Marx sought another revolutionary agent and thought he found it in the proletariat, 
the noble industrial workers of all ethnicities who would respond savagely to savage employers. And then he goes on to talk about Vladimir Lenin and then Joseph Stalin and how they each took it a little further and a little further. And then you can go to Paul Pot, the Kermer Rouge, and on and on we go from there. Exactly. French Revolution helped spawn some of this idea. Yep. All right. Yes, Becky. Okay, there's a YouTube channel called What Would You Say? And they have dozens of videos. I like the site. I like the channel quite a bit. Um, but it's called What Would You Say? It's a whole YouTube channel. They have all kinds of different topics that they make little videos. And I, I go to that a lot. Yes, Earl. That's right. You've used up your three comments. Okay. <laughs> Yes. 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 Yep. Yep. You're right. Good point. And we're seeing some of that even in our own culture, the dogs devouring their, their own kind. All right. Well, we'll close in prayer, and then I know it was a little bit of a heavy subject. We'll come back, Lord willing, next, uh, next Sunday. And I deal with this a little bit more, and I'll show another video. But let's, let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word that gives us answers to these kinds of theories and ideas that are out there. Lord, as, as a church family, we need to, to know and, and be informed so that we can give a, a reason for the hope that lies within us. And the reason for our hope lies in the word of God in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to share that hope. And help us, Lord, to have an answer from the Word of God for these wrong ideas and these false theories and what are ultimately an attack upon the authority of God and His Word and and your Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to live for you. Bless, Lord, now the service to follow. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll start the service in about 16, 17 minutes.